Sure good to see you today. I never know when it's raining if anybody's going to be at church that day. I told the team earlier, Jesus said that I'll build my church. Upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but rain will. But wait, no, I don't think he said that at the end. But sometimes I've wondered. And so thanks for being here. Congratulations for getting up out of bed on a rainy Sunday to be here. And I believe God has a blessing for you. Wow, what an inter a wonderful worship set. I don't know what it did for you, but it just helped me a lot to get my heart and my mind prepared. So <clears throat> our youngest grandson, Bryce, let's see, he's four. You know, it's hard to keep up with him after a bunch, but he's four. Bryce is Finally beginning to figure some things out, you know, as four-year-olds do. He's finally starting to get... Of course, his siblings give him a lot of help in figuring some things out. I'm sure a couple of weeks ago, many of you hid Easter eggs, right? I mean, I, I know that's not the real meaning of Easter. I get that. But it's part of the fun of the Easter season. And we always have a big egg hunt at our house. And we had to let the kids enjoy hunting eggs. And of course, times have changed, right? Used to, you just looked for colored eggs. When you found one, you cracked it, you peeled it, and you ate it, right? And that was all the fun. But nowadays, not only do we have hard-boiled eggs that are dyed and hidden, but we have plastic eggs. Bryce is beginning to figure out that plastic is better than hard-boiled. Now, the, uh, you know ahead of me already where I'm going with that, because in the plastic eggs, G-Daddy and Mimi have placed something, whether it's some M&Ms or some Skittles or maybe some quarters or because our kids are older now, dollar bills or whatever it might be. And so tucked inside that egg and hidden away is it. Now, here's what it took Bryce a while to figure out. First, that plastic is better than hard-boiled. But then secondly... That finding the egg was not the treasure. The egg itself was not the treasure. He would just be tickled to death. He found an egg and the other kids were like, look inside of it. The treasure is not the egg. It's what's inside. Well, he's finally figured that out. And so I guess the fun of simplicity is gone at our house now. But it's okay. I want him to be able to recognize true treasure. Have you ever thought about this? Even as adults, sometimes we have a hard time recognizing the true treasure. Too many times we're hunting for something. We're looking for something in life, and we're thinking if I can only find it, if I can only find a pink one, if I can only find a blue one, if I can only find a red one, a green one, whatever, if I can just find the egg, my life will be happy and satisfied. And then when we find the egg, it's kind of like ho-hum, oh well. How much there? Maybe I find a plastic egg. And so we set our sights a little bit higher and we begin to look at other things, other eggs that may be out there that surely will satisfy us. And some of us never learn to open the egg and find the real treasure. Some of us think we found the treasure when all we found is the egg that the treasure is hidden in. Now, what in the world is all this talk about? Oh, listen. We've been talking for weeks now along this theme, promised. And we've been looking at the promise of God all the way back to the beginning, all the way through to the end. We've been dealing with this promise of God, that God has made a promise, and that His Almighty God, He will always keep His promise. 
Here's the problem I've discovered and I felt as we've gone through this series. I've begun to realize that some of us think the promises are the treasure. And while they're a blessing to our hearts and lives, that's just a part of the real treasure. The real treasure is not the promise as, the real treasure is the promise. I know you're thinking, you're talking in circles now, Pastor. Maybe I am. So let me just kind of zero in and maybe drill down on this thought. That really and truly, when we think of the promise of God, we need to understand this. God is preparing us for all that he's promised. God is preparing us for all he has promised. And the truth of the matter is, God is at work in your life even if you don't recognize it. Even if you don't see it. You may be thinking here today, Pastor, you don't understand my life. You don't understand my situation. I'm not sure God's ever worked in my life. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's working in your life. You're here this morning because God's at work in your life. What happened last week is because God is working in your life. And you're saying, well, that's kind of discouraging because my life's a mess right now. And my life is just in, a, in an uproar. And if, if this is the best, if this is God at work, I, I'm not sure I need it. I, I understand that. And I think what we're going to see today that God is at work even in our brokenness. And even when we're broke. And even when things around us are broken. Even when we're discouraged. Even when we're sad. Even when we're ready to quit. Come on. All of us have been ready to quit at some point in time or another. We've all wanted to quit. We've all thought, what's the use? We're going to see today that God has made a promise that is faithful. And there is a treasure there to be found and enjoyed. Just don't settle for the egg. Now, to find this truth, I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures known, are known to us as the Old Testament. And I want to show you a book that's written by a prophet, right? A prophet. Now, the prophets of old were kind of like the preachers of today. A prophet, sometimes when we think about prophet, what do you think about? You think of somebody who can tell the future, right? But in truth, the Old Testament prophets were not known so much for their foretelling as they were for their forth. Telling. That is, that they would speak forth the word of God. You see, a priest, they had prophets. They had these, they had, um, the Israelites had two main guys, right? They had priests and prophets. The priests spoke to God for the people. The prophet spoke to the people for God. And so these prophets would sometimes tell the future. In fact, we're going to see a case of that today. But maybe most importantly, they would simply tell the people what God wanted them to know. Well, this prophet, I don't know if you've heard of. I'm sure you've heard of Daniel, probably heard of Isaiah, maybe Jeremiah. This guy, not only is he a little-known prophet, he has a little short writing, only a few chapters, and maybe most importantly, his name is even hard to pronounce. And so I'll probably mess it up. I'll probably pronounce it three or four times before the time here is over with, but his name is Haggai. Haggai, or Haggai, as some would say. See, we don't even know how to say his name, but here's the thing. It doesn't really matter because his message is powerful. And he's going to say to the people what we need to hear today, and that is that God has a promise 
that will see you through no matter how difficult the situation or where you find yourself in life. Just don't mistake the egg for the promise. Understand there's a treasure inside. All right, you ready to explore it? So if you have a copy of the Word like I have, you can turn to Haggai. It's toward the end of your Old Testament, or it'll be on the screen, or you can find it. Uh, it's easy on your phone or tablet, right? You just go to the contents and follow. I hope you'll follow along, because here's the thing. Sometimes I want you to take a careful look at where we're going, and sometimes it's just helpful to have it in front of you. Haggai. Now, Haggai, Haggai, however you want to say his name, is a post-exilic prophet. Uh, what does that mean? That means that he is prophesying the end of the exile. You remember the exile? We talked about that a little bit last week. We've seen in the past couple of weeks that God made a promise, and in the very beginning he said, I'm going to promise what? To fix what is broken. Remember that? We looked at that on Easter. That God looked and said the world is broken. When Adam and Eve took of the fruit, that God had said don't eat of it or you're going to die. When they took the fruit, everything was broken. The world was broken. Their relationship with God was broken. Everything was broken. But God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3. Remember? We saw it. God promised I'm going to fix what is broken. And on Easter, when Jesus rose from the dead, after his work on the cross was finished, when Jesus rose from the dead, it was God's exclamation point saying, promise kept. Now everything can be fixed. And the process began. And then last week, we talked about the fact that God said, not only am I going to fix things that are broken, I'm going to build a kingdom. And as I build this kingdom, I'm going to invite you, that's you, 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 and me, to be a part of of that kingdom. And he promised Abraham, I'm going to make you a kingdom of people, a nation of people, and I'm going to give you a land. We call it the land of promise. Or, you know, if you're from the old school, the promised land. Because it was a land, by the way, that Israel currently dwells, or at least part of it. A land that promised by God where they would come as a nation and be a people. That he would set up his kingdom, the kingdom Right there. And you remember, eventually they got there. Joshua took the city of Jericho. The people marched in. They took the land. And the kingdom, the promise was kept. But what happened? You remember? The kingdom became their kingdom. And trouble ensued. Now listen to me carefully. Free bit. Anytime the kingdom becomes your kingdom, you're setting yourself up for trouble. But that's last week. I've got to move on. So God's invited in this kingdom. But what happened? They rebelled against God. <clears throat> they kept the idols in the land. They worshiped the idols. And so God said, okay, I told you that if you would follow me, if you'd obey me, there would be blessings in the land. You'll live in the land forever. But since they didn't, he sent the Babylonians, later the, the, the Persians, and they came and captured the people and took them out of the land, held them in captivity. And then one day, God said, it's long enough. And he let them go back to the land. As they came back to the land, we pick up the story from Haggai. We see what happens when they come back to the land. Look at it. Verse number 1, he starts. Here's his second message to Israel. By the way, his first message in chapter 1 just says this. You need to obey and believe God's promise. No matter how dark it may seem, believe the promise of God. 
that he's not finished with his kingdom. He's going to fix what is broken, and God's kingdom is still coming on this earth. And then he begins the second message in this way, verse two, verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. Wow, what a mouthful. Who is Zerubbabel? He's the one leading the rebuilding of this temple. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and to the remnant of the people. Watch what he asks them. They've come back to the land now. They've moved back from captivity. They're back in this land of promise. And he speaks to them. And look what he says in verse 3. He says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Now let's stop there a minute. I want you to see what's happening. The people have come back to the land. And so as they come back to the land, they have to have a place to worship God. Remember, the Old Testament times, people worshiped God in the temple. So they had to have a temple. Problem is, that beautiful temple that Solomon had built was torn down. It was gone. Solomon's temple was magnificent. One of the wonders of the world. Large. Huge in measure. Finely cut stones laden with gold and silver and bronze. Beautiful furnishings made with gold or overlaid with gold. Gems, fine linens. To look at Solomon's temple was to see the glory of God. And the people were just enthralled when they came to that place to worship I'm convinced that's probably what led many cathedrals to look like they look because they wanted people to see the glory of God. If you walk into the European uh, theater uh, cathedrals and you look into those places, they're incredible. So the people had seen this incredible, incredible temple. And it was gone. So Zerubbabel and some of the people had gone ahead to begin to rebuild the temple. Problem is, six years had gone by and they had quit the work. You see, the zeal for rebuilding the temple was great at the beginning, but then it waned. And for six years, the people did nothing. By the way, I, there's just so much here. I don't have time to cover everything. But let me just give you this to think about. Consider this. How many times do we start off in this zealous, uh, 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 really impassionate uh, journey or ministry or whatever, and then... We kind of lose power. We kind of, it kind of shifts back. We kind of shift it back into neutral. And before long, we quit. So for six years, they haven't done anything. So Haggai is coming on the scene, and his job is to tell the people, you need to get back to work. Now, Ezra, another scribe in that day, said it this way. You know what he said? He said, when he looked at the temple, when the people came back and looked at this rebuilding of the temple, it said, the young men rejoiced. But the old men wept. What does that mean? The young men rejoiced. The old men wept. Here's what he was referring to. The young men were excited because we're finally getting a temple in Jerusalem. We've left Babylon. We've left Assyria. We've left Persia. Now we're coming here. And wow, we are going to build our own temple. And they were excited and rejoicing. The old men looked at that piece of the temple and cried. This is nothing like the good old days. That's really what they were saying. 
This temple is nothing compared to Solomon's temple. If we still had Solomon's temple, we'd rejo- but we're, they were crying because today wasn't yesterday. Now, folks, listen to me carefully. We need to be careful because today is not yesterday. And I'm afraid I see the same thing happening in many circles today. I'm afraid many people lose a portion of the joy in life today because it's not the good old days. I'm still looking for the good old days, frankly. You know, I think back to my days, the good old days, they're old days. I don't know if they're good days or not, you know. But in all areas of life, whether it's secular or whether it's church world, I don't know how many people have said, oh, it's just not the way it used to be. It never will be the way it used to be. Today's another day. So the old men were weeping, said, oh, if it had just been like, like Solomon's and but it's nothing compared to that. It doesn't seem to you like anything by comparison, he says. Now, look what he says next. I love this. He says, verse 4, even so. He's, he's conceding, by the way. He said, I know this temple doesn't compare to Solomon's. I get that. But even so, watch this. Be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, watch this, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. God looks at the people and he says, I understand this is nothing like the former. But you be strong. In other words, God's in this work, and there's something ahead that is even better than you can imagine. Now, stay with me just a minute. I'm not, I, I, I know I've given you a whole lot of front porch and a whole lot of history right there for you to swallow in a moment, but listen to me carefully. Let me put it this way. When they came back to the land, they found the egg, the temple, But God's saying, wait a minute. You've missed the treasure. I know this egg is not as pretty as the other egg. It's not decorated as well. It's not as big. But wait a minute. You've missed the treasure. Now watch what he says in the next verses. And here's where the prophet goes from telling forth the word to also foretelling the word. Look what he says in the next verse. It says, verse 5, this is the promise This is God speaking. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. Now, there's our word promise. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. Toby talked to you about that last week. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. Perfect song selection today, Jordan. Thanks. Set the the table for us here. You don't have to be afraid, he says. You don't have to be scared. The Spirit of God is present among you. God has said, I'm here. I haven't forgotten my promise. Then look at the next verse. He says, for the Lord of armies says this. Once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations will come 
And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is declaration of the Lord of armies. Now watch this. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of Jehovah, God of hosts. Now, I can tell you, you're not excited about that as I am. I, man, I'm just ready to turn somersaults up here. All right? Number one, I can't. Number two, you think I was dumb. But, but let me tell you why this excites the fire out of me. So here's what he's saying. I'm going to just kind of, because you're like, I'm not sure if I follow all that. I, I know I've just put a lot on you, but here's, watch this. He's saying, let me show you the real treasure. The real treasure is not in the glory of this building, not in the fact that there is one stone perfectly hewn for the next. Not in the fact that this stone, this building has some gold and silver. I, I know it's not as great as Solomon's, but watch. The, the, the treasure is not this building. The treasure is the glory and presence of God in this place. And it's going to come in a way that you have never seen it before. How's that going to happen? Well, he's looking forward. He said, I love the way it says this. He says, there's something a little tricky here that I want to show you without getting too technical, but I want to show you something. He says, look at verse, um, uh, where is it? Verse number five. He says, this is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. Verse six, for the Lord of armies says, once in a while I'll shake the earth. I'm going to shake the heaven and the earth. Verse seven, I will shake all the nations. Here's what I was looking for, that the treasure of all nations will come. Now, what's interesting is, any of you guys carrying the King James Version of the Bible with you right now? Anybody? Some of you are? Okay. Hey, King James gets it right here. King James Version does the best job with the translation. What is it? Desired. The desired. That's the word in Hebrew. The desired. I'm going to shake the nations that the desired of all nations will come. Charles Wesley got it because Charles Wesley wrote a hymn about this particular verse. You sing it. You know it. You, don't even, you probably don't know Charles Wesley. You might know who Charles Wesley is. He's a, actually a theologian preacher. But you know what Charles Wesley wrote? He wrote a song that we call today, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? And in one verse, he quotes that. You've sung it. Come desired of nations, come. Fixing us by humble home. What's he talking about? He's saying one is going to come. The desired of the nations is going to come and fill this place. Can I just tell you something? Man, hang on. Can I tell you something? When God, when the first tabernacle was built, Solomon built the tabernacle. You know how they knew when God was present? The Shekinah glory of God fell like a cloud over that holy of holies in the, in the temple. And when they saw that cloud, they saw the glory, the Shekinah, the glory of God. As long as they saw that, they knew God was present. And you know what's sad? When they went into captivity, Ezekiel the prophet says, I looked. As the people left the land, he said, I looked. Watch this. And the glory departed from the temple. What made Solomon's temple so incredible? To the natural eye were the stones and gems. 
What made it really incredible was the presence of God. And when the glory departed, the nation fell. And now he's saying, don't worry. The glory's coming back. But in a way, you've never seen it before. Fast forward. Fast forward. 800 years, 700 years. I didn't do the math. Fast forward 700 years. Zerubbabel's temple is still there. It's been reconstructed, redone by a man named Herod. Remember Herod? Herod rebuilt the temple, constructed, remodeled the temple. But in the Jewish mind, watch this, in the Jewish mind, Zerubbabel's temple and Herod's temple are one. Still one temple. Just remodeled, reconstructed. Right, Paul, my Hebrew scholar? They're still, they're, they're still one. Same temple. Haggai is saying one day, the desire of all nations is going to come and he's going to enter into the temple. Jesus is God wrapped in flesh and walks into the temple. John wrote it this way. You remember John's words? John's gospel says in the first chapter, it says the word became flesh. That is God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Son of God. John says Jesus is God wrapped in flesh and then he walks into the temple. As we walks this earth, we see the glory of God. Before it was smoke that was evidence. Now Jesus walks into the temple. He says the desire of all nations has come. Listen, guys, 2,000 years on the other side of all this, you and I get to witness we get to witness the promise of God. We see Jesus walk into the temple. I say, I still have problems with Jesus. You know, there's people in this world that still have problems with Jesus. There's problems with people in our country that have problems with Jesus. But here's one thing you know. The problem that people have with Jesus is not what he taught. In fact, he taught incredible lessons. He taught incredible principles. And if you're not, even if you're not a follower of Christ, even if you're still trying to figure that part of it out, can I just tell you something? If you'll follow the principles that Jesus taught and laid down, it'll make your life better and make you better at life. It really will. People don't have a problem either with what Jesus did. He went about doing good. All of them said he went about healing people, raising people who, were, who, were, who couldn't walk, and opening blind eyes and unstopping deaf ears and, and healing people in all manner of ways. Nobody had a problem with that. In fact, multitudes followed him. They didn't have a problem with what he said or what he did. But they did have a problem with who he said he was. Because he said, I'm Messiah. You know the one promised by Haggai? You remember the one promised in Genesis 3.15? You remember the one promised, mark it through history? You remember the desire of nations? <laughs> I'm the one. And as you might expect, people had trouble with that. And they're still having trouble with that today. I don't have trouble with that. I don't have trouble with that at all. As a matter of fact, the ceiling point to me is not what he said, not what he did, really not even who he claimed to be, but really the thing to me is the exclamation point of the resurrection. No man can do that. So this Jesus, the glory, has come. Now, interestingly, I'm almost done, so hang with me. 
I know it's a little history today, and I, I knew that, and I thought, oh, Lord, help me to not get boring. If I get boring, would y'all just wave? No, don't even wave at me. <laughs> just endure it another couple of minutes, and I'm done. Just humor me, if you will. But watch this. These verses are written in the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews picked up on this passage, and look what he said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 26. Look what he says in verse 26. He says, his voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, there's our word, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. What does that mean? The New Testament writer took that passage and said, wait a minute. Not only is this in reference to Jesus in his first coming, but also his second coming. We haven't seen it yet, he says. God's going to have a great shaking of this world. God is in the business of shaking. Revelation tells us about this shaking. I don't have time to read it, but he talks about this world being shaken. And at that time, this desired of all nations... It's once again moving on the scene in power. And he says, why would God shake the earth? You know, that's a great question. Could I ask you, why would God shake your life? I started off talking about how sometimes our lives are shaken and broken, and, and, and we're like, well, if, if God's made these promises, why am I not experiencing them? Or if this is God at work, why would God shake us? Why would God shake the world? Why would he shake us? I think he answered it right there. Watch this. The removal of what can be shaken that has created things so that what is not shaken might remain. I was living at my first, my first pastor was at a church in the country in rural America, rural Lachua County. I'll never forget this. I loved being out there. It took me a while, but I loved being out there. And one year, I remember particularly, my backyard was only probably 30, 30 yards I don't say 30 miles, 30 yards wide. And uh, at this particular point, this particular season, one of the guys behind me who owned the other piece of property had planted peanuts. All right? Anybody seen peanuts grow? It's fascinating to me, and I just loved it. And I loved being able to go out there and just get me some peanuts. He invited me. He said, just go out there and, and dig you some up anytime you want to. And, um, and, and so I loved that. So one day, I had a buddy of mine come over, he and his family, and, and they're, they're from the city. Nothing, about, nothing wrong with being from the city. But they came out, and I said, hey, man, you want some boiled peanuts? Yeah. He knew what boiled peanuts were. I said, let's go get some. We can get some right out here. But this buddy of mine has the field. He says, he told me to get them anytime I want to. He knows I'm not going to eat many in this 100-acre field of peanuts. And so we went out there, and my buddy goes running out ahead of me, and he's looking. You know what he's doing? You're already ahead of me, right? You know what he's doing? He's going through the vines, and he's looking. He says, there's no peanuts on this thing. Now, some of you out there don't reveal the fact that you don't know. Okay, there's no peanuts on it. So I said to him, you've got to reach down and pull them up. And then what? Shake the dirt off so that all remains is the peanuts. And then you can pick them off. The... Now, I think that's what he's saying. God sometimes shakes us. So that all the stuff that doesn't matter, 
all this stuff that you're not going to eat is shaken off. And the only thing that remains is the treasure. We weren't looking for vines. We're, we're, yeah, we're grabbing the vines, to put, but that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for the clump of dirt that comes out. The real treasure is the peanuts. And so he says, sometimes God shakes us so that all the things, as he says, created things, things that hold us are gone. So it all remains as the treasure now. That is so, so big. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe God is shaking you to shake loose some things that really shouldn't matter? That maybe have become way too important in life. In fact, so important that it's caused you to miss the treasure. All you're seeing is the dirt. All you're seeing is the egg. And he shakes us to remind us of the greater treasure. Could it be that God's shaking you to cut you loose from the thing? I love this, the created things, the things of this earth. Can I just tell you? I got to sit down or I'm going to buckle up right here. Can I just tell you? Watch this. The more God cuts us loose from the things of this earth, the sweeter heaven looks. I think I'm going to say that again. The more God cuts loose the things of this world from us, the more he cuts and shakes this world from us, the grander heaven looks. I remember a gentleman who was in his late 80s at the time. He used to travel with me a whole lot in Branford. I could tell you all would know who he is probably. He had me going out one day. I was riding around with him, and he was showing me around and taking me. To, we'd go to visit places. You know what he said to me one day that just was struck? He's talking about a friend of his who just died. And he looked at me, and he said, Pastor, I was in my 20s, so for a man his age to call me pastor was a pretty big deal. Pastor, he said, I think I have more friends and acquaintances in heaven than I do on earth. So why wouldn't I want to be in heaven? <laughs> I thought, man, you know he's right. When the things of this earth are sh broken, shaken, heaven is the sweeter yet. And can I tell you something? You're maybe struggling right now, and you're right. You're saying, well, I'm ready to go to heaven now. No, 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 no. God will let you know when it's time. But I can tell you this. I think you'll agree with me that rest is all the sweeter when you're weary. Right? The best rest you have is when you're so tired and you just fall asleep. Can I just say I'm convinced that those who long for heaven most perhaps are those who are most weary. So I want to leave you with this. I'm out of time. You'll give me two minutes, maybe three. Let me just wrap it up. I think here's my whole point. Here's the takeaway. Maybe not just from today, but maybe for the whole series. Consider this. Why can't we learn to live in the promise of the promise? You, you with me? 
Why can we, can we learn to live in the promise of the promise? Not the promises. The promises of God are wonderful, but, but the promises are really the eggs. I'm telling you, there is the promise, and the promise is the desire of nations. The promise, the treasure is Jesus, and we literally need nothing else. Unfortunately, we don't come to realize that until we've been shaken. And some things have been cut loose. Let me leave you with three. I'm, I'm not going to talk about them. <laughs> don't worry. But let me leave you with three promises, all connected to the promise. I think it's incredible. I want to read them because I want to get it right. First of all, watch this. Because he promised to fix us. Because he fixed what was broken, first of all, first promise, we will be with him. Second promise, we'll be like him. Third promise, we'll experience glory. Let me say that again. Because he fixed what was broken, we will be with him. We're with him now. He's with us now. But in a greater sense, we're going to be with him. We're going to be with him. Listen to what, listen to what John says. First John. Let me, I didn't put these up there, guys. So let me just, but I, I feel I need to read them. Listen to this. John says, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that he didn't, it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We, we're going to see him. We will be with him. And John says when we see him, we're going to be like him. Now hold on. There's one other passage. Uh, it's one of my, one of my favorites and... So powerful. Listen to what Paul said. I just feel like I need to read this. Somebody's weary today. He says, therefore, because of everything we have in Jesus Christ, therefore, he says, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. <sighs> because he fixed what was broken, we'll be with him. Because he's invited us to be part of his kingdom, we'll be like him. And because he's preparing us for all he has promised... We will experience glory. I wish I had time to talk more about glory, but that's just going to have to wait for another time. Y'all just did not listen fast enough this morning. Isn't that incredible? I hope you got here encouraged today. We'll be with him. We'll be like him. We'll experience glory. May I say that in this room, Many of us have friends and loved ones who've already stepped into that season. And while we're down here mourning them, they're saying, Whoa, you can't believe what's ahead for God's people.
Pray with me, would you?